In the early church, there was a separation, a a divide, a disconnect, a disagreement over the question of inclusion for self-avowed practicing Gentiles in the life of the church. The early New Testament church was made up of originally Jews. This makes perfect sense because Jesus was a Jew. He was the Messiah, the anointed one of God for the Jewish people. All of Jesus' disciples were Jews. Jews first of the Galilee region in the north and then Jews who came from the southern region, especially from the power centers around Jerusalem. Jesus preached to Jews, healed Jews, forgave Jews, fed Jews, transformed their lives, called them to follow him. But because of the eclectic nature of the ancient world, because of the eclectic nature of the eastern half of the Roman Empire where Judea was, it wasn't just Jews who heard Jesus preach and teach. He was heard by plenty of non-Jews, by Samaritans who were the half-siblings of the Jewish people, descendants of the Hebrew people, the remnants of the Israelites who inhabited the northern kingdom of Israel, who had been mixed and married in with the imported non-Hebrew people whom the Assyrians had imported from regions of their empire after they destroyed the northern kingdom in 721 BC. He was heard by Greeks who lived in the area as merchants, as teachers, and as cultural movers and shakers. He was heard by Romans, the occupying armies of the Roman Empire and their families and their servants and their friends. And when those others heard Jesus, many of them found what he was saying to be appealing, encouraging, transforming, liberating. They heard in Jesus the word of God being proclaimed. And they wanted to be a part of the message and of the messenger a part of the community that grew up around him during his life and his ministry, a part of the community that exploded around the people who followed him following his resurrection at Pentecost. They wanted to be members of this growing movement, this growing community of Jesus' followers. Most of these early self-avowed practicing Gentiles were what we know of as God-fearers. They were Gentiles who had studied the Torah. They believed in God. They believed in Yahweh Elohim as the creator of the universe. They accepted the revelation of the Hebrew scriptures as reflecting God's will for God's people. They were at varying points along the journey towards conversion into Judaism, but they weren't quite there yet. They weren't all the way into Judaism Yet, they may have adopted some of the Jewish cultural and legal rules. They may have obeyed some of the law and followed some of the cultural regulations, but not all of them. And so, many of the early Jewish Christians were uncomfortable with these self-avowed practicing Gentiles coming to worship among them, study the Torah among them, learn and grow and pray and 
be a part of their communities, pay money to build synagogues. Some of these self-avowed practicing Gentiles were very lavish with the resources they had and very loving and accepting of the Jewish people that they lived around. And so, some of these early Jewish Christians began demanding that those self-avowed practicing Gentiles stop behaving as Gentiles and start behaving as Jews. They wanted these Gentiles to adopt the Jewish dietary regulations, the Jewish blood purity laws, the Jewish clothing regulations, the Jewish behavior conventions regarding how women were either included or excluded in daily life in the community. Gentiles could be accepted into the church, but if they were going to really be a part of the church, real participating members in the life of the community of Jesus, they would have to stop being Gentiles and adopt the practices of the Jews. Some Gentile converts to Christianity did this, or they tried to do it, but it was very difficult. It required the men to get circumcised. It required all of them to stop eating foods that they really liked eating. It required them to dress in certain ways, cut their hair or not cut it, as the case may be. It required them to work in certain ways on uncertain days and take a specific Sabbath day off every week and follow cultural feast days and high holy days that were not part of their experience as Gentiles. Most could do some of these. Many did some of these. Few, if any, did all of them. And yet the church outside of Judea and Galilee was quickly growing. Quickly growing among the Jews of Diaspora, those Jews that had left Judea already to settle in, in Asia Minor, in Greece, in Macedonia, in Rome, in, in Spain. Throughout the Mediterranean basin, Jews had been moving out and, and living and working and growing in these communities and building synagogues. And, and Christianity was growing outside of Judea and Galilee amongst these Jews of the diaspora. It was also growing amongst those Gentiles that were part of those growing Jewish communities. And it was growing amongst Gentiles, many of whom had never before even been God-fearers not been those who had been studying the Torah, had not been those who had been exposed in a positive way to the Jewish culture, the Jewish life, and the faith of Yahweh Elohim. They'd never heard the law of Moses. They'd never practiced any of the dietary regulations. Paul, in his missionary journeys throughout Asia Minor, Macedonia, and Greece, was making converts of these Gentiles. These people who were very much still self-avowed practicing Gentiles and not Jews. They were being baptized. They were joining the church. They were leading the church, serving as pastors of churches that Paul would establish and appoint. Not just men, but women too. Out in the Gentile world, the church was growing. It was expanding 
amongst self-avowed practicing Gentiles. People who believed in Jesus, believed in Yahweh Elohim, and accepted God's grace and lived by faith in Jesus. They experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. But they still, in many ways, behaved like the Gentiles that they were. And moreover, it didn't appear that God had any interest in making them change, in stopping them from their Gentile practices. Oh, yes, they stopped worshiping at the temple of Artemis or Apollo, but they were still Gentiles. They still ate Gentile food. They still dressed in clothing of multiple threads. They still cut their hair and marred the edges of their beard. They still did all of those things that Gentiles would do that the Jews would find nasty or gross or not part of their cultural life and their cultural existence. They were still self-avowed practicing Gentiles. And that is what launched, caused, precipitated the first church split. Paul would take the gospel to the Gentiles Peter and the other disciples would continue to take the gospel to the Jews. They would recognize each other as part of the church, but we don't want to have anything to do with the other side. The Jewish Christians said, we, we accept that these Gentile Christians are Christians, but let's keep them as far away as possible. The amazing thing was that at the first conference, the first general conference, of the church in Jerusalem, the church's leadership agreed that these Gentile Christians wouldn't have to become Jews in order to be Christians. They didn't have to require circumcision for all the males that joined the church. They didn't have to require dietary regulation observation if they joined. All they asked was that when you were around Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, you self-avowed practicing Gentiles, when you're around those Jewish Christians, just don't eat unkosher food. Just don't behave in Gentile manner. Be careful about it. Don't offend us and everything will be okay. At least that was the official line coming out of the first council the first general conference in Jerusalem. Some of the Jewish Christians didn't like it, however. They didn't accept it and continued to cause trouble. And that's what was happening in Galatia, and that's why Paul was writing this letter. He was writing it to address a church that was struggling because they were self-avowed practicing Gentiles. They'd never been told to stop being Gentiles, and yet Jewish missionaries, Jewish Christian missionaries, were coming into the church and telling them, you know, you, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you accept a life of grace, but now to really have it, to really be a true Christian, you've got to stop being a self-avowed practicing Gentile and start behaving like a Jew. Paul addresses this in his letter. He affirms that Gentiles could be completely and fully, without question, part of the church without having to change, 
without having to renounce their identity as self-avowed practicing Gentiles, and that God doesn't have a pecking order or a preference order that relegates self-avowed practicing Gentiles to second-class citizenship in the kingdom of God. Paul writes, Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. The law, the Hebrew regulations, the Mosaic covenant and all of its particulars defined what it meant to be a Jew. It taught people how to live a life as a follower of God at a time and in a place where such definitions were helpful during the exile out of Egypt, during the wandering through the desert for the 40 years prior to entering the promised land and then occupying and subjecting the promised land to their society and their culture. In this setting, it was important for all of this list of identities and things that you do and the things that you don't do to be lifted up as being important. That was what was found in the Mosaic Covenant. But with Christ, there isn't a need for those particular regulations anymore. The cultural definition so important during that early period simply didn't apply anymore. Paul will say elsewhere that the law is still good and useful and helpful. But as here, it is simply a schoolmaster, a teacher not a, will, a way to relate to God, but a way to know that we are God's children and a way to see God's love revealed to us and to others. For in Christ, for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God, not through the law, but through faith. Paul goes on, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And that pretty much says it all. In Christ, there's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. Wow. Distinctions that make up a huge portion of the law's cultural and social conventions. Factors that tell you what you can eat and how you can dress and how to relate to people and who you can marry and how you marry them and who can teach and preach and lead in a community. They're all simply set aside in this one statement. These old distinctions are no longer relevant in the life of the church, Paul says. There's no longer Jew or Greek. And that means self-avowed practicing Gentiles are perfectly fine in the life of the church. 
He says that there's no longer slave or free, a distinction that was very important at that time. For slaves didn't mix with non-slaves, and they certainly didn't mix with their masters in the prevailing Gentile and Jewish culture. Today, we cringe at the thought of slavery, and we believe and we know that it is both evil and sin to own people, to discriminate against people based upon any factor, especially race, ethnicity, national origin. We believe that this is sin and this is evil, this concept of slavery, and yet the Bible condones it, has a place for it. But Paul, running contrary to the Old Testament scripture, running contrary to the culture both of the Jews and of the Gentiles, says in Christ there's neither slave nor free. And there's no longer male and female. Gender distinctions and identifications no longer matter when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ. When it comes to religious experience and expression, one's gender or gender identification is entirely beside the point. For God's grace overflows to all, and all can express the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ. All of these distinctions, Gentile and slave and women, they were important in that day and age, and they're still important to many today but sometimes in different ways. Some portions of the church, some in the 21st century, some portions of the church still tell women that they can't be ordained as pastors or teachers in the church. One bishop in the United Methodist Church this year had death threats left on her telephone answering system not because she was an African-American, not because she was conservative or liberal, but because she was a she, because she was a bishop and a woman. Yes, portions of the church today still reject this idea that women can be ordained as pastors and teachers in the church. Some portions of the church still consider class and social background, racial and ethnic considerations to be important in its life. The church hour on Sunday is still the most segregated hour in American culture. And that, my brothers and sisters, is a travesty of sin. A travesty of sin. And while we don't pay much, if any, attention anymore to full inclusion for self-avowed practicing Gentiles, because 97% plus of all Christians are self-avowed practicing Gentiles today, now the church fights and splits over the full inclusion of self-avowed practicing homosexuals. Amazingly, Paul's words 
are words that we need to hear today. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We, all of us without exception, belong to Christ. And since we belong to Christ, we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise, without distinction, without separation, without division or question, all of us, all people everywhere who live by faith, depend upon God's grace, trust in God, trust in Jesus, proclaim faith in Christ, are sisters and brothers and siblings together belonging to Christ. Those early distinctions that resulted in the split of the church, Gentile and Jew, those early distinctions that resulted in the split of the church between those who had been part of the Mosaic Covenant for, for generations and those who were new to a life of faith in God, those distinctions that caused that early split echo down through the centuries to today and a desire to determine who was in and who was out, who was good and who was bad who is blessed and who is not. We see it manifested repeatedly in churches that are segregated, intentionally segregated by race. Churches that proclaim death to people who disagree with them, including death threats against LGBTQ persons, death threats against women in ministry. We see these distinctions echoing down to today, and they run contrary to what Paul says, what Scripture says, what Jesus said about God's love, about the community of faith they were called to be a part of. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, straight or gay. We are all one. In Christ Jesus. We all belong to Christ. We are Christ's love and wonderful siblings and brothers and sisters, children of the living God, joint heirs with Christ, joint heirs and children, offspring of Abraham. That is who we are. Let's look past these divisions. Let's confess our sin and participation in them. Turn to each other and ask for forgiveness. And then step out in faith and live the life of the joint heirs in Christ that God calls us to. Well in your 